0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you have joined us. There's a new lawsuit that challenges Michigan's predatory home equity theft policy, which allows counties to take property to settle back taxes, then sell it and pocket all the proceeds from the sale, an amount that's often many times larger than the initial debt. After years of saving, for instance, the Perez family bought a property in Detroit that contained a four-unit home and a single-family home in a working-class neighborhood. The Perez's had unknowingly underpaid their 2014 property taxes by just $144. To settle that debt, though, Wayne County took the homes and sold them for $108,000, keeping every penny from the sale. The Perez family lost all all their equity in those houses, while the county pocketed more than $107,000. How is this happening, and is there room legally to fight this? Our next guest is one of the attorneys who is representing the Perez family, and he joins us to talk about their case and the larger issue of home equity theft. I want to welcome David Dearson of the Pacific Legal Foundation, which has filed this lawsuit, to Detroit Today. David, it's great to have you here with us.
1: Thanks very much, Stephen. Pleasure to speak with you. Yeah.
0: So uh, we know this issue in Detroit very well, and we call it tax foreclosure. It's one of the things that is really driving blight in our neighborhoods. It's one of the things that is really sapping economic stability out of neighborhoods uh, in our in our city. Uh, you call it home equity theft, which I think is a is another really interesting way. Uh, to describe this, but but talk about this issue and how unique maybe Michigan is uh, in in doing things this way.
1: Well, it's uh, it, it, it's somewhat unique. Uh, unfortunately, it's not alone, and maybe you, you can take some solace in that. There are about 12 states um, in across the country that that do something like this. Um, it really is home equity theft. I mean, foreclosure. Uh, is one thing, and it, it can sometimes be justified to fill a debt. Although, keep in mind, with such a small debt, um, in the case of the Perez family, $144, the county had other options. They didn't have to foreclose the entire home. They could have seized rent payments. Um, they could have taken just one unit. Um, so really, uh, in addition to uh, you know taking the hard-earned property of the Perez family, it's also uh, an excessive punishment for a, a small tax delinquency.
0: Yeah. T- tell us a little more about this case involving the Perez family.
1: Yeah, well, I think you summed it up pretty nicely. Um, they, uh, so the, the Perez family lived in uh, New Jersey, and they'd always hoped to move to Detroit. They have some family in the area. Uh, and so they spent $60,000 on this house, and then they spent uh, more than that amount, plus three years of hard labor driving back and forth from New Jersey to Michigan to fix the place up. The plan was they would rent it out uh, until they could earn enough money from the property to eventually move into one of the units themselves. Uh, but now, the sixty thousand dollars they paid for the house, the uh, the more than sixty thousand they put into improving it, and all those years of hard labor um, have all—they're all gone. Well, you know, it's not gone; it's just gone into uh, into the county coffers.
0: So. Um... Talk about other areas of the law where this kind of thing happens. I mean, it, this reminds me some of civil forfeiture laws, which also uh, take property from from people under uh, certain circumstances and and strip them of the equity or the ownership that they have of them. Is is this a similar kind of constitutional issue?
1: Well, you know, it is. It is pretty similar, and uh, and. Um the big issue with civil forfeiture laws it, 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 in my opinion at least is a lot of times people are having their things taken because it's in connection with a crime that's the justification only often they're never uh, ultimately convicted of the underlying crime and the property's just gone in this case it, 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 it's almost even worse because you know it's not a crime to uh, to underpay your taxes um, it's not it's not a criminal offense and so to 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 punish somebody in this excessive amount, um, it violates not only the United States Constitution but also the Michigan Constitution. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, And and so, talk to us about uh, your lawsuit, what it seeks, uh, and what the basis for the arguments in it are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are um, we're seeking uh, we're, we're asking the court to stop counties across Michigan from. Um, implementing the tax code in this way. By the way, I don't think I mentioned this, but you know, it's not just uh, Wayne County that's doing this. It's happening all across Michigan because it's actually a result encouraged by the Michigan tax code. But of course, um, it's also a result abhorred by the Michigan Constitution and that of the United States. So, we're asking the court to uh, to prevent the implementation of the tax code in this way, and we're asking the court to demand that the county pay back the money that, uh, that it was never owed, and that is rightfully uh, owed to Ms. Perez. And so the, the claims in the suit are an unconstitutional taking of property under uh, the United States and the Michigan Constitution, and both of those constitutions have clauses that say pretty plainly, you just can't take people's property without paying for it. We're also filing claims under the uh, excessive fines provisions of both constitutions. Um, as well as a claim for unjust enrichment. Now that's like an that's an ancient, basic principle of fairness that's recognized by the law, um, and it goes all the way back to uh, Magna Carta. If, uh, if you get a benefit from somebody, um, and it's unjust for you to keep that benefit, you've got to pay it back. And you know, speaking of Magna Carta, um, it would have uh, prevented something like this from occurring. Um, in medieval England. So, you know, counties across Michigan are are doing things that would have made the King of England blush in 1215. (laughs) Uh,
0: And so if you're successful in this suit, would the necessary conclusion include essentially not allowing counties to do this
1: anymore? Or or,
0: or would they have to remunerate other people who have lost their property? Yes.
1: Yes. Um, So this is actually just one of uh, three cases that um, my organization, Pacific Legal Foundation, is litigating across the state of Michigan. Um, and there, there are actually other cases. There are attorneys litigating this issue as, uh, as class actions. So,
2: um,
1: as these cases move through the Michigan court system, uh, we hope not only to get a ruling that, uh, counties can't do this anymore, that will, that will prevent this situation in the future, um, but also we're gonna, uh, have a situation where the, Counties across Michigan are going to owe a lot of people a lot of money.
0: This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is David Deerson of the Pacific Legal Foundation. He joined uh, that foundation in the fall of 2018, and he focuses on property rights economic liberty and the First Amendment, Uh, he's part of a lawsuit that challenges Michigan's practice of taking people's properties for back taxes and selling those properties and then keeping all the proceeds. Uh, tax foreclosure, of course, is a huge issue here in the city of Detroit. It's one of the things that is driving blight in our neighborhoods. It's one of the things that is stripping people of wealth that they have built up uh, as property owners here in, in the city. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about this lawsuit. Tell us what you think about the practice of tax foreclosure, of taking people's houses and selling them when they have not kept up with property taxes, is that fair? Uh, Is that the way, even uh, if it is not fair, is that the way to fix this problem? Is that the way to make up for lost property taxes? Which is also a huge issue. Here in Southeast Michigan for city government, for county government, the idea that so many people are either unable or in some cases unwilling to pay their property taxes. What should we do about that if not tax foreclosure? Again, always uh, on the phones, the number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Um, David, before we go to phones, I, I want to ask you about uh, the other the other um, context, I guess, uh, around tax foreclosure. Uh, the ACLU uh, here has entered into a, a consent agreement, essentially, to try to fix a lot of the problems that have unfolded with tax foreclosure here in the city of Detroit. I wonder uh, how close you feel their work is to yours. Is this the same kind of pushback or uh, are you, are you uh, operating separately and seeking maybe different kinds of outcomes?
1: Well, we're certainly operating separately. I can't uh, honestly say I'm too familiar with um, the uh, the ACLU's work in this area in Michigan. Perhaps you could uh, fill me in a little more.
0: Uh, yeah, so they've they've challenged a lot of the the tax foreclosures that took place here in the city of Detroit, and and challenged the legal basis for them, saying that essentially the assessments of those properties were wrong. That that the city had lost lots of value in in property assessments and hadn't changed people's um, property taxes to reflect that. Therefore, the 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 takings, the property takings, uh, were were. Um, were illegal. Uh, they filed a suit, and uh, there was a consent agreement in which lots of, um, I guess, remedial kinds of things are, are being done to ease tax foreclosure problems in the future, but also uh, to get people their property back in in some cases.
1: Yeah, well, you know, what it just makes me think is that it, it, it's it's ultimately not surprising if, you know, assessments are being done wrong, and it's not surprising if, maybe counties aren't uh, sending proper notice or maybe they're sending it uh, to the wrong address as actually happened in in this case with the perez that results in these accidental and unknowing underpayments these things aren't surprising uh, given the incentive structure provided by the michigan tax code and if a county knows that uh it stands to profit so much from these simple mistakes in the case of the perez family uh, it profited to the tune of uh, over two hundred fold um, over hundred seven thousand uh, dollars You know it's not surprising that they make these kind of mistakes like they uh, send notice to the wrong place or maybe they they miscalculate the assessment. Um, you know the tax code provides these incentives um, to 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 seize and pounce on these mistakes and and make so much money for the county treasury. Um, that's a that's a big problem and and you know, theoretically a due process issue
0: mm. uh, again 313 1019 is the number on the phones let's go to michael and troy michael what's on your mind
3: uh, yeah um i mean so i'm not originally from michigan but i've come here in the last few years and i've seen natural forces well we'll call them natural they've kind of taken people out of their homes maybe somebody loses their job uh for whatever reason but for the cities to contribute to that, they have to know that they're they're spiting themselves of dollars just to get pennies. If they keep people in their homes for these simple mistakes, they could earn more revenue if, over time, and they're just destroying their cities and their counties
2: by mm. kicking people out. Yeah.
0: Uh, Michael, that's a really re- great point, and it gets to this idea of blight creation, I think, which is – one of the things that is uh, happening with with tax foreclosure here in in Detroit uh, David Dearson, I wonder if you could talk about what happened to these homes that the Paris family owned they were taken and sold uh, are are there new owners there now paying the taxes on those properties
1: uh, yes they are it's now it belongs to uh, to new private developers who are um, who are paying the taxes and you know they'll make whatever productive use of it they, they see fit. But it, it, it's a great point that you know Detroit as I understand it, um, I am not I'm not from Michigan and I don't mean to speak out of turn, but as I understand it, Detroit's a city that uh is in the midst of a recovery and that is uh is, is working hard to uh to rise and you've got productive Americans um, trying to make a trying to make a living, uh being productive and creating opportunities for others. And uh, I, I agree with uh, with Michael. It's 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 perverse for uh, for the local governments to uh, to step in and, and, and ruin the, the productive economic activity like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Michael, again, thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much for the call uh, and the thoughts. Let's go to Mark in Detroit. Mark, welcome to the show.
3: Yeah. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. My mm-hmm. question is, um, what is preventing banks? when they foreclose on someone's mortgage from profiting. And it's my understanding that in mortgage foreclosure, the process only recovers the debt owed to the bank. And so if there is a mortgage sale at the county, that those proceeds would be returned to the owner if if it it was sold in in the auction um, and it exceeded the debt owed.
0: So, so I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm following Mark. Uh, I think you're talking about two different things here. One is banks who who foreclose on people who can't keep up with their mortgages. The other is the county, which forecloses on people for taxes. Which, which of those are you bank, asking?
3: Bank about? foreclosures they they occur. You know, I've hung out in in the Wayne County courthouse and the mm-hmm. Coleman Young Building every Thursday. That, that's when all of the the um, mortgage foreclosures occur mm-hmm. as, as part of the legal proceeding right yeah and they announce a certain debt that the, is owed on the property and people bid on it um to to buy that debt and right. that's, that's how all these investors are working and so um it's it's related to the tax foreclosure because the banks don't let the property go into tax foreclosure because they would lose their their note essentially right. um, and what, what the difference that I'm bringing up here, and, and I've seen this you know from participating in both tax foreclosure auctions and mortgage foreclosure auctions is that as you guys have described, the county profits off of tax foreclosure, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is fundamentally different than the way that, that banks operate. And so I guess I'm wondering if um, there if there's a legal explanation from the guests as to why why can't banks profit in the same way that the county does is that i see what you're saying yeah absolutely and i think it's a great it's a great
1: analogy um you're you're right banks can't do that and and likely for a host of reasons first of all likely um it's provisions in the mortgage agreement second it's um michigan statutes. um you know laws written by the legislature and third it's it's basic uh, basic principles of contract and property, so even absent the statute um, courts would likely uh agree that uh, you can only take as much as you're owed it's just a basic principle of fairness and so I actually think it's a great analogy to raise why is it that uh you know if you owe money to a to a private lender they couldn't just take your entire house and keep the whole thing but uh the county can and you know when 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 private lenders uh, do practices like that often they're they're referred to as the mafia.
0: Mm. Yeah. So do you know what the history, I guess, is of, of the way this is developed that allows government to do this, but, but not private actors.
1: Yeah. The history is, is tricky. And, and the reason it's a little bit hard to determine is because, um, there was a, there was a rehaul of the, of the Michigan tax code in, in the, uh, in the 1990s that, um, created the language that counties are now taking advantage of. But as I said earlier on the call, you know, counties have other options. They're not uh, required to take the entire house to satisfy such a small debt. They can uh, take the property owner to court and garnish uh, rent payments, or they can take, you know, just a small portion of the property. And so although the language was, was created in the 90s, uh, you know, counties didn't all, didn't all necessarily start taking advantage of the procedure all at once, and so it's a little tough to pin down exactly when when the situation changed. But uh, it's certainly happening today um, in counties all across the state. Mm. Uh,
0: again, uh, Mark, thanks very much for the call uh, and the really incisive uh, question about the differences here. Um, let's go to Brian in Detroit. Brian, welcome to Detroit. Ah.
2: Yes. Hi. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I basically just wanted to speak briefly just on it and, and get some thoughts on the the kind of it seems like the county might be a bit of a red herring here in a way in, because there's other entities that seem to have a vested interest in the, um, the, the property auction. You have kind of these small LLC that buy our properties under one name, then let the tax go and let the property go to auction, buy it under a new name, and then come back and re-own the properties, hmm. such and such that they don't have to pay taxes. They get them back in the auction on the cheap. And then those are frequently the properties that may have had a resident owner before that because someone else had more capital, so they're small LLC or a moderate-sized corporation, we're able to keep kind of slum-like dwellings either vacant for kind of black market <laughs> dealings or slumlords for renters. And it seems like because there's a vested interest there in those particular groups, that there isn't a huge incentive from some of the movers in our region to get the county to do something different. So while we push on our elected officials, it seems like we also have to put some energy towards some of these hmm. more uh landlords and property investors and speculators who want the property to stay this way because they don't lose out. They don't have to pay much taxes. And like my neighbors, it's hard to figure out who's actually behind uh, these sure. kind of more or less local cell companies. Yeah,
0: Brian, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, and that's something that that uh, David Dearson, perhaps you're also not familiar with, but you know, there's almost a cottage industry that has grown up around the idea of these tax foreclosures here in Detroit, because there are so many of them, because there are so many properties involved, it's because there's so much money involved. And as Brian points out, it's not just the county that Profits from uh, this this kind of activity. There's all kinds of companies who uh, who are involved, which uh, which which goes to not necessarily to the constitutional questions, but certainly to the practical implications mm-hmm. of this kind of uh, this kind of dynamic.
1: Yeah, certainly, and and, and uh, certainly, I would agree that um, you know private developers are are benefiting from the from this situation. Uh, and unfortunately, it's one of the reasons why elect- why legislative fixes are challenging. You know, um, the legislature in the state of Michigan could solve this issue by um, revising revising the tax code, and that would be uh, an excellent and easy way to fix this problem without anybody having to keep getting sued. But it's uh, you know, when you've got uh, as the, as the caller mentioned, all of these private interests. Um, who have a stake in in the status quo, then it becomes difficult to move the uh, the political levers in that way, and so um, you know that's why you can sort of skip that process and go straight to court and say, hey, you know maybe the legislators and the uh, and these private developers are are in cahoots and they're benefiting from this situation together, and so that we may not be likely to see a change at the legislative level, but that's the role of a court is to come in and say hey, this legislation and the way it's being practiced and the way it's being written is, 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 uh, is in violation of a, of a more important law, and that's the Constitution of the uh, state of Michigan and of the United States.
0: Hmm. Uh, Brian, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Tom in northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Tom? We may not have, Tom. Uh, Okay, before we go back to the phones, uh, David, I want to ask you about Pacific Legal Foundation and some of your other work. Uh, There was a story about your lawsuit in the Detroit Free Press uh, in which a professor at the University of Michigan raised some questions about the motivations here. Uh, Some of uh, the other work that you guys do around property takings have not to do with actual takings, but regulatory imp- uh, impositions from from government and defending property owners against against those. Uh, this professor fretted a little that uh, that what you're up to here is winning a precedent uh, that that would help you in that arena and not necessarily help uh, the, the the people like the Preras family um, individuals who are. Affected by this, how how would you answer that criticism?
1: Well, I'm I'm glad you asked the question, uh, Stephen, and I I have a few responses off the bat. Um, First of all, yes, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely true that we uh, we we do regulatory takings issues and and that we defend property rights generally. That's our mission, and and uh, you'll see it on our, our website. Um, and, and that I'd, I'd invite all the listeners to learn more by going to pacificlegal.org. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: you know, in this case with, the, with the Paris family, as a matter of fact, it's not a regulatory taking and, um, precedent from this case is not <clears throat> likely to apply to the regulatory takings cases because it's, it's just different tests that are used uh, in a situation like this where the property is physically taken. Versus, uh, versus a regulatory taking where the government, you know, passes a law that just renders property valueless, even though you still technically own it. Um, but, you know, in either case, uh, the, the, the property owners are, are still, uh, you know, hardworking Americans like the Perez family who have invested in their, in their hard earned property. And, you know, whether that property is rendered valueless because the government takes it or because the government um, passes a regulation that puts, you know, an incredible undue burden on the property owner, which, in fairness, ought ought rather to be borne by all citizens equally. Uh, and in either case, you know, it's from our perspective, it's um, it's the little guy, it's the property owner who's investing and in trying to be productive and uh, is frustrated by by government, whether it's a physical or a regulatory taking. Hmm. Um, and
0: you don't see you don't see those two in, in, in this case, uh, often when you're talking about regulatory takings, you're talking about wealthy property owners, for instance. Uh, in, in this case, you're talking in, in many cases, about poor property owners. Uh, of, of course, those two groups of people often find themselves at odds in terms of of their interests. Here, However, you seem to be saying they have a common interest in, in protecting their property.
1: Well I, I think absolutely that, uh, that that property owners um, uh, w- from a legal standpoint can be seen as a, a, as a class of interests that are uh, more or less aligned. and it's, I don't think it's necessarily the case that uh, regulatory takings claimants are often wealthy and physical um, takings claimants are the reverse. I'm not sure that that trend would bear out. Hmm. Um, I think, I think people like the Paris's, you know, work hard and invest in property, um, or, or, may, you know, maybe some people uh, ha- have worked less hard than the Perez to invest in their property, but either way, they're making productive use of it. And, uh, the government steps in and renders the property valueless. They've got to pay for it. That's a, that's, it's in the, it's in the constitution, it's, it's this amendment and it applies regardless of, the socioeconomic class of the property owner. Hmm. Uh,
0: again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Leon in Detroit. Leon, welcome to Hi, the Steven. show. Hi, uh-huh. Stephen. Go ahead.
4: Um, I recently paid my house off last year uh, towards October and uh, discovered that the assessor's office had my records totally mixed up with the property across the street. And um, even, I mean, it was as deep as all of the specs on my property was under the tax ID of the house across the street and vice versa. Um, I, it, it took some time to get it corrected. Well, I know the city side took a couple of days and then because I was paying online and, and, and when I saw that the records were mixed up, I went in person to get the issue corrected. Hmm. Um, and so within two days, they had all the spec information under my correct tax ID and I had all my, my documentation and everything. And the property across the street happens to be owned by a private company that owns rental property. So, uh, it, it just looked fishy to me and I overpaid my taxes just to make sure that the taxes were, that the amount was correct sure. because it appeared the amount that I saw across the street was similar to what I paid in the past. Of course you know the SEV value went went uh reduced and to about a quarter of what the property was worth wow. a year after I purchased it. So uh, a lot has been happening. And, yeah.
0: No, I yeah. I hear these stories Leon all the time. It seems like in 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 Detroit I mean we just have not been able to to sort out some of the the, the long-standing problems uh, in the assessor's office and, and and other parts of city government to keep this straight, um, David Dearson, this does remind me of, uh, this, this, this case of the Perez family. I mean, this, this idea that $144 unknowingly not paid ends up in a foreclosure It it kind of gets to the, the, the sense that there's something broken about, about the system.
3: Yeah.
1: uh, And I totally agree. And I, I certainly wouldn't go so far as to, um, you know, to make any assumptions or or, uh, or judgments about uh, about the people who are running these uh, county treasuries and, and and records offices, but it, it, again, like I said, it's the incentives. I mean, when 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 the law, when when the when the uh, statute allows the counties to profit so much from making mistakes, it's not too surprising that you end up with a lot of mistakes.
0: Yeah. Okay, David Dearson of the Pacific Legal Foundation. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today.
1: Pleasure's all mine. Thanks so much.
0: All right, up next, we're going to talk with Chris Collins, president of the Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation, about this year's festival lineup. You are going to not want to miss that discussion. We'll be right back with more Detroit today.